Hello everyone, and welcome once again to In the Finest Hour, a 40k competitive podcast about teaching you the skills and advice you can use in about an hour. I am your host, John Morgan, sometimes known as Abuse Puppy, and I have with me on my left, Shaylin Allen, our good podcast host. Hi. And on my right, Joshua Death, our evil podcast hosts. How you guys doing tonight? I'm doing pretty alright. Just uh, recovering from the summer tournament season here a little bit. <laughs> I am recovering from allergies and carpal tunnel. You never recover from allergies. That is a continuous thing for you. <laughs> it's called allergy shots. It's working. Yeah. I'm not sure that's recovery, though. Nurgle got a hold of me. Yeah, you've got a little bit of the gargles, it sounds like. I do, I do. The Nurglings have passed it on. Yeah. <laughs> So I had a little bit of a, a question that struck me at a tournament recently, because I'd been looking at a, a gentleman's list, and uh, this particular issue had come up. What is the worst model you've ever had to build? Ooh, I'll jump on that one. Uh-huh. What do you got, Josh? Worst model ever to build is the Games Workshop Ogre Armies from Warhammer Fantasy Novlar Scrap Launcher. Ooh, Yes. That model, it was almost all pewters, all, all metal back in the days when most things were metal. Yep. And it was just a bunch of equivalent size 2x4s, ratio size to Warhammer scale. Ooh. Yeah. Pretty much hobbled together to make this piece together. But trying to pin it was almost impossible because it literally is just the tiny size of a 2x4 in Warhammer world mm-hmm. that you're trying to hook to this little 2x4 that's this one. And after you get it all together... If you look at it wrong, it just completely just disintegrates. Oh, yes. And you rebuild it 12 times, and all that's really holding it are the giant globs of glue, because that's really what you have to do. <laughs> you just have to feed the 2x4s into giant pools of glue and let them harden. That was the worst freaking model ever. And God forbid if you built it even slightly off, then it, because it was four wheels as well. Yes. So you actually had to get the damn thing level. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Ugh. Hated that model so much. Yeah, they were awful. Shaylin, what about you? Um, so I've built mostly newer kits. Sure. And thus my worst thing I ever did to myself was conversion work. Because of course it was. You can dig yourself as deep a hole as you want with converting. Like, it's there's no limit to that puddle. So what I did was I took the Celestant Prime, that's the guy with the whirligig whizzle up and the giant oh. wings, and then I put raptor legs on his butt. And turned him into a demon prince ascendant. Mm-hmm. And putting the wings on the back of him that were demonic was the biggest pain in the ass I have ever done yet. Yeah. I wanted them posed just so, because I got way too OCD with this model. And attaching wings to bodies is always kind of nightmarish. I definitely remember building some flying hive tyrants back in the day. Oh, yeah. That did not want to stay particularly well. And then, of course, there's also converting Dreadnight legs, but that was not nearly as hard as those wings. Yeah. For my money, like, I did build some of the old pewter kits. Um, in I never built the Noblar Scrap Launcher, although I did build a bunch of the old Dwarf Artillery, which were similarly awful. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm actually gonna go with uh, one of the worst kits I've ever built is a modern kit. Oh? The Slanesh Chariot Kit. You're not going with the Necron thing with all the individual guys? Oh, no. See, that thing is awkward, but all of the pieces fit together in a relatively coherent way. Okay. But the Slanesh Chariot kit 
The wheel alone is, I think, 35 pieces. Ew. And that is not counting all of the dainty little pieces of horn and bone that are sticking off in weird directions, and four different daemonettes, each of which is their own thing, and that want to be seated on saddles, each of which are six pieces. (laughs) All in told, the basic chariot kit, the little baby one, is I think like 130-ish pieces. Which you're going to lose one of. Oh, absolutely. And that is not counting the Exalted Chariot Kit, which you build from two of those, um, and uses most of the components of both of them, and and clocks in around 200 pieces. Um, And all of those are necessary pieces. There's nothing extraneous in there. Wow. It's a nightmare. Screw that. I built one for a buddy at one point, because he didn't really like assembling models, and I love building things. And after a uh, about six hours on it one night, I called it good enough and gave it to him, and I told me never ask me for anything again. <laughs> yeah. That was more favor than you intended to take on. Yes. That was also the same batch of units where I built the old metal Flesh Hounds and Metal Kairos Fate Weaver. Oh, screw that one. Oh yeah, I remember you uh, wanting to throw that across the room and just about screaming at it. It was pretty awful. So, uh, let's let's transition over to slightly less frustrating memories as we talk about our episode topic this week, which is playing fast. Ah, yes. The art of not timing out. Yes. This has become more of an issue than ever in 8th edition, as a lot of people are timing out. Early on in 8th edition, everyone was like, wow, the game is so fast now, and then we had a lot of people not getting to round 3, mm-hmm. which is not really where you want to be in tournaments. If you want to have any chance of doing well at a tournament, you need to be either completing your round or coming very near to completing it. Well, and I was at a tournament where an opponent of mine was granted a chess clock because he was slow playing people out of victories. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You don't want to be on either end of this. It's no fun to be the one who times out on a game, and it's it's no fun to time someone out, because that's even if you win, that's a real feel-bad victory. That's as bad as gotcha-ing in its own weird way. Yeah. And more than anything, like, it calls your victory into question. Like, even if you were indisputably winning the game anyways, and you would have wondered if it went to five or six, if you time out on three or four, there's always going to be that pall of kind of like, well, maybe you wouldn't have won if the game had gone to full time. Because sometimes bad turns at the end of the game is really what swings it. It certainly can. We've all had stories of that. Yeah. You really do want to be completing your games. But a lot of players struggle with that because it's not easy. Eighth edition is slower than other editions. And you have to put a lot more care into making sure you finish your games. So this week we're going to be talking about a whole bunch of tips that all of us personally use. And that can help people make sure that you get through your entire game. Yep. Let's first talk a little bit about what we mean by playing fast, because that's definitely a thing. As everyone talks about, like, you, know, you got to play faster. It's like, what, what, what does that actually mean? Well, the big thing I want to make sure that people understand it's not is it's not moving your models quick. It's not speeding through your turn. It's not rushing your game. Playing quickly is making sure that you know you have a certain amount of time that you need to get your game done. And the time you are dedicating to playing your game is exactly that. Being dedicated to playing your game and getting it done. Mm-hmm. Using your time, your time management being done the best as possible to make sure that both you and your opponent are 
get a full six turns in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, budgeting it appropriately. Let's make no bones about it. Like, your time in a game is a resource, just like any other resource you have. Just like your command points, just like the points in your army. There's a resource that you should be thinking about how you spend. Yeah, and if you're just now starting to, like, go, wow, I'm only getting to turn four most of my tournament games, you need to start measuring your time. Yeah. Like, literally measuring it. Chess clocks help you measure time. Even if you dislike their concept, that is one of the biggest things they did for me. Yes. So if you're someone who's having problems with this, just start measuring your time. Even if it's just a stopwatch, you got to start measuring things. Mm-hmm. Some tournaments are actually moving to having a uh, recommended time announcement where they will say in each round, they'll say you should be on turn two. If you are not on turn two, you need to speed the game up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that can help a lot, but you can do that to yourself as well by kind of looking at where you are and looking at how much time you have left. Because the awareness of it, I think, is the very first thing you need to have in order to get faster. Because a lot of players just don't realize how slowly they're going. It's not they're trying to play slow. They just don't really understand how slow they are. Yeah, or how much time a little thing takes, what feels like a little thing. Because time is, your perception of time is skewed at all times. Absolutely it is. So let's start off with the most basic level of tips. Uh, And this is the sort of thing that for players who are just entering tournaments is probably going to eat up the most time. Know your army. Yep. Yep. Less time you spend looking stuff up, the faster you're going to go. Yeah. I find that for the people who only finish turn two or turn three, this is the killer. Mm -hmm. This is the one that is slowing their game to a crawl because they are spending a lot of time looking up unit stats and unit rules and all of that. And I don't want to say, if you haven't learned these things, don't go to a tournament, but I think you do have a certain duty to know your own rules if you're planning on bringing an army. Yes, or as I've stated multiple times, you can make yourself cheat cards that are fast for examining things. Absolutely. It's like, as I said, I'm still learning Tau guns, so it's like, I just have a cheat card of the gun stats. I'm like, okay, this unit, that, that, roll. Yes. Physical aids like that are something we will discuss a a lot more in a little bit, but not having to flip through your book and look up every little thing will save you a ton of time. Also, because your opponent will be asking you questions in the pre-game phase, not over-explaining is super important here. Yes. I know, Josh, this is is something you have noted a couple of times. Uh, Especially especially when it comes to not just knowing your own army, obviously, but that time that you waste, you know, uh, either explaining too much or looking up stuff or most of the time just be able to answer your opponent's questions. Those are the big ones. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and not just answer your opponent's questions, but also not having to explain every single thing in your army as soon as the game begins. I don't have to explain Grey Knight Denial to a Tau player. No, I think explain what they need to know. If you come up to the table and your opponent is not familiar with the army, you can't possibly explain every stratagem, every rule, every piece of war gear, every psychic power to them in any reasonable amount of time. You'll throw away half an hour of the game right there. Mm-hmm. Instead, telling them the most important things and gauging this based off what you think their level of knowledge is. I usually favor asking what I call a lipness test question, because a lot of people will say, oh yeah, I know Grey Knights, and then I'll be like, do you know how Astral Aim works? And their answer is going to tell me a lot of how much explanation are they going to need throughout the game. Yeah, because if they say, oh, that's the one that lets you ignore line of sight and cover, then you're like, okay, cool, they actually do know how Grey Knights works. But if they say, 
is that one of their powers or a relic? Then you're like, okay, you don't actually know how Grey Knights work. You need to elaborate. Yeah. And you should be tailoring your explanation to your opponent, but also understanding that, like, you only have so much time at the beginning of the game. You can't just give them the full spiel. You can give them the quick version if needed, but you can't just tell them everything. That's a prime time to also point out, like you said, you know, when you, when you made the comment, just to emphasize on, to explain what they're going to need, what they need to know. You know, if we're in the pre-game deployment phase and you're deploying your army and you de- decide to, just as, as an example, you're running Gene Star Cults and you start putting all of your blips right on the line. Mm-hmm. And you know that I have units of infiltrators and I am have the ability to deploy my infiltrators nine inches away from your deployment zone and potentially mm. kill almost all of your blips if you deploy all of them on the line. And I actually had this happen up in Canada at the CTC. I flat out cautioned him. I was like, hey, just so you're aware, I've got these guys, the infiltrators, I can deploy right up on the line. Any of those blips that get caught in that, they're going to get destroyed because they won't be able to deploy. We kind of went over the rule and how that interaction worked and then how the FAQ ruled on it. And he's like, oh, shit, okay. Kind of glad I got, you know, you told me that before I finished deploying all my blips. Mm -hmm. So, again, look at the stuff realistically that, you know, what do you think your opponent needs to know during that deployment step and really just focus on that stuff and then start worrying about like Shaylin mentioned in the psychic phase that's when I'll bring up Astral Lane. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about one of the big ones that I think is the thing that people focus the most on and is very important but is not going to be the entirety of what you need which is physical aids. We are tool using mammals and using tools does help. Yes, uh, and this can actually work in a variety of ways. Chess clocks are the one we already mentioned are incredibly valuable, and a lot of tournaments have gone to making mandatory chess clocks for undefeated players on tur- on day two. Mm-hmm. But even if you're not in that 3-0 and up bracket, think about using a chess clock, because they're not as scary as they might seem, and they really do help you keep your game on time. Also, they cost less than a base unit from your army, I'm sure. Yeah, 10 to $20 for a chess clock. Getting familiar with them, and that's actually something I'd like to kind of reiterate with all of these, is that all of these things only help if you're used to using them. So Mm -hmm. get used to using them in your practice games, because until it becomes second nature to you, it's not going to speed your game up. It's going to slow it down. Yes. Practice as you play. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And practice with them all the time, because the more you use it, the more natural it will feel, and the more natural it feels, the more it's going to help you. I used chess clock when I was teaching my boyfriend how to play. Yep. Even though he is a complete novice to the game, getting him started on that chess clock from the very beginning taught him good habits. Yes. One I actually developed was, for myself, was measuring devices, because I realized very quickly, I need to know nine inches. Yes. You're seeing a lot more of this with various tournaments as well, is that they are handing out some sort of 9-inch ruler for deep strikes and similar abilities because they are extremely common in the game. And having two or three of them to sort of measure out what your arrival zones look like can save you a lot of time. Yes, and you don't want to be dropping dice down to kind of like see the overlapping zones. No, just laying down two or three is so much faster. Dice can work, but if especially if you're doing this a lot, this can make things a lot easier. Another one I uh, bit the bullet and started doing was movement trays, and half of what I do is I just put the units back in there so I don't have to, like, reorganize my army tray between rounds. Yes. 
movement trays are usually seen as a thing for people who bring like big units of like orc boys or whatever like that Mm -hmm. and they can be useful there although you usually have to abandon them relatively quickly but i think the time they're most useful in is deployment as they allow you to quickly lay down these very large units because you're typically going to be in a fairly similar kind of like block formation with them Mm mm-hmm but even if you just have a lot of units, uh, kind of like Shaylin's army, where you're deploying, like, ten different units that are all kind of just, like, sitting in these little blocks, they can speed up your process of deployment quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Josh, do you have any things that you find are a huge time saver for you or that you see opponents using? The one that I actually go to more than anything, two big ones for me. CP tracker for both my, my opponent and I. I actually do both. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's not that I do both because I expect my opponent to mess up or make mistakes or cheat. It's just, it makes things easier just in case someone happens to make mistakes. Shit happens. There's a lot going on in the game. Mm-hmm. The way I do it is at the end of every turn. Like, literally at the end of every turn, I'm like, alright, so I have me at this and I have me at 14 and you at 11. Is that right? Yeah? Okay, sweet. We're both on the same page. Yep. So at this point, if there is a mistake, we know where that mistake went. Happened, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. We're not having to try and think back five turns First time to think back this one. Oh, okay, well that happened. I forgot to do that one. Boom, done. Right. I forgot to spend the two CP when I did that thing. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So that that helps. And the second one, really big one for me, actually, it was kind of an accident that it happened. My wife made them. Mm-hmm. When I was running that demon army at LVO, she actually made like little kind of data cards, little cheat sheet cards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For all of my demon units. I specifically did it just because there were so many different units that I'd be summoning. I wanted to be able to hand my opponent, you know, if he asked, hey, What's the stats on those, you know, demonettes or whatever? I could just really hand them the card, let them look at it, see all the information, bam, without having to bust out a codex, stream through it, all that jazz. It had their special rules, all the stuff right there. Mm-hmm. And I've actually taken that into a lot of my other armies now. Whenever I go to events, I started doing it with my Gene Star cult, I do it with my Marines. And it just it's, it seems really helpful for both myself and my opponents. Because also I've noticed, like, as units die, like, I no longer have scouts on the table. I actually just take the card away. Mm-hmm. Sure. I just kick it off the side, put it on my tray or whatever. And it also kind of, it, it just helps streamline everything in front of me. And whenever my opponent has a question, I can literally just hand them the card. Boom. I keep doing my movement while they're reading all the stuff they want to read. Mm-hmm. I kind of recommend that to anyone. It's really simple. You just, just type up the information. Uh, you can use like an Excel spreadsheet or something like that and then print it off and laminate it. Also, that's just good practice because it'll help you memorize shit. Yeah, Exactly. Just like Shaylin had mentioned earlier, like having these cheat sheets available to remind yourself of the things you need to know and to remind your opponent of the things they want to know can be a big time saver. The last thing I would put on here is uh, some people make tokens for their guns, especially on Imperial Knights, for example, that have so many guns. And they just go volcano cannon here, lancer there, blah here, and you just lay them all out and then you just go. Yes, that can be very useful for units that are doing a lot of split fire. Uh, I personally use it for psychic powers. Mm-hmm. Not so much a time saver as a, a memory device, but can work as both, honestly. If if you're not having to go back and think, like, where did I do this and was that that, then saving yourself effort is saving yourself time. Yes. The other one I'd like to throw out, and I know it's something that uh, Josh has used and I have started using more, but uh, can be very applicable, is dice apps. Mm-hmm. Uh, If you are rolling a large number of dice for a big block of models, a dice app can save a lot of time. Now, some tournaments are still a little cagey about these, so you may not be able to use them at every tournament, but I find that they got a lot more open. The GW one is generally pretty well accepted. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen any tournament yet that has actually banned that. Uh, I have seen one. 
I don't doubt they exist. Because it is an official GW production, most tournaments are pretty comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. There are other dice apps out there if you are not on a Apple device, because unfortunately that is the only way you can use the GW one. Don't get me started. <laughs> yes, it's it's extremely awkward. But a dice app can make that process of rolling like the the Overwatch for sixty conscripts a lot faster. Mm-hmm. And this can kind of bleed over into also just like, okay, I'm gonna shoot my whole unit of boys at your one character with two wounds left. Just pick that guy up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'll save a lot of time. There's what I call reasonable dice assumptions, especially in cases where it is extremely unlikely that things are going to go the other way, and even if you do, it's probably not going to save them, Mm -hmm. then just take it. It's one thing if it is your last model on an objective and they have four bolt guns and you're just like, you know what, roll it out. You could roll a bunch of twos. Mm -hmm. Um, But... If it's a schmuck out in the open and he's shooting an Imperial Knight into it, you know what, just pull that guy off the table. Yes, exactly. So, specifically in combat, especially if you are at a tournament that is using the chess clock, be careful that, you know, I've got this 30-man unit that is, you know, fighting your one guy, right? Mm-hmm. And you have one guy left and you have 30 guys. And I'm going to just say, you know, hey, I just wanted to pick the guy up. Now, the situation here is the moment I say I want to just resolve this as him dying, what I'm saying, as per the rules for the chess clock, is... My opponent is allowed to make the decision on the outcome of this combat. Mm. Be careful with that, because your opponent does have the ability then at that point to say, okay, he doesn't die, he stays there. That is their choice. Caution, be wary of that, because I actually had that exact situation happen when uh, Ridvin, Skari, and I played round one at the CTC, where I ended up clocking out on my turn four, and he had three and a half minutes left when he finally got to start his turn four. And he was like, crap. And he was at a point where we're in the middle, you know, we're finishing out his turn. And he's like, I had three guys. And he had his two guys. And he's like, hey, thought about just setting, you know, I'm just going to pick him up. And I'm like, are you sure you want me to decide the resolution of that combat? And he's like, no, okay, I'll roll it. Because hmm. he knew I could just choose to leave them there, not allowing him to take the shots, yada, yada, yada. So I just wanted to caution. So just be aware if you're using the chess clock rules and you're in the fight phase, and you decide that I just want to pick this model up, what you're actually saying to your opponent is they get to choose the resolution of that combat. Mm-hmm. 99% of the time, it's going to be exactly that. They just want that guy dead, blah, blah, blah. Just look at the board and be aware maybe that isn't the decision you want to make. Mm-hmm. Right. So let's move beyond the physical aids, and let's go to some mental aids here. Being organized. It's yes. a superpower. I'm not sure I would call it a superpower, but it's definitely very powerful. Super. (laughs) Because this is something that is going to save you a surprising amount of time. One of my pet peeves with the game just drives me bonkers is players who put their dice away every time they roll them. Oh god, yes. That infuriates me because they spend so much time on that. It's just, okay, well, I guess I need 12 dice now and they get them out. It's just like, have all those dice out and ready. I'm going to remind you, we had this rant in a previous episode. (laughs) Yes. It's bad enough when they have the dice bag, but when they actually recube them, Oh. <laughs> like they'll have like the four dice cubes. I've 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 played it. I played against the guys that literally they get done rolling and they put them all back in the cubes and they put the lids on them 
and then they go to roll again and they have to reopen it and it's like, just leave them on the table. That should be illegal, I'm just saying. <laughs> I don't believe in the death penalty, but I do in this case. <laughs> I, I agree. Now, the one exception is if you're putting your dice back into organized piles of some group of shots or something that is useful for you in an organized fashion, yeah. that is acceptable. And that is something do. I do. Yes, yeah, like I was saying, I know you do this, Shaylin, is you have specific numbers and sets of dice kind of laid out before the game because your army typically rolls very specific piles of dice. Yeah, it turns out I've got 16 shots for the Storm Bolters, and then th six laying over there for the Silencer, and mm -hmm. then I've got two for the Psychic Dice, and that's basically all I need to rock. Yep. Yep. Having these kind of pre-measured sets of dice can be very useful to just making all of your rolls, because it doesn't feel like it, but dice rolling actually takes up a surprisingly large chunk of your game. These are also piles that are easy for me to divide or pick up for rolling saves as well. It's like, yes. I have to make five saves, grab one of these plus another die, throw. Yep. It's not even thinking at that point, it's just grabbing by just routine and just going on that. Mm-hmm. And anything you can turn into like a mental muscle routine will speed your game. Yes, absolutely. I actually tend to do this when my opponent is rolling large numbers of dice at me and sort of making saves. I'll mentally estimate how many dice I'm likely going to need. Mm -hmm. If I see them get 24 hits and they have their strength four gone on my toughness four guys, I'll kind of be like, all right, I'm probably going to need about 12 dice. Mm -hmm. And so I'll pick up 12 dice and get them ready. And then if they say, okay, go ahead and make 14 saves or 10 saves, I'm already on top of it. Yep. Exactly. Another thing I do is Grey Knights have every unit's a Psyker, so I'm d putting out Psychic Powers is I give the same units the Psychic Powers almost every time with a handful of exceptions. Sure. Unless I have a dang good tactical reason to make that different. It's the same every time, so I don't have to remember who has which Psychic Power. Mm -hmm. That's just me not having to spend two seconds every Psychic phase remembering who has what. Yep. To bring this back around again, organizing your units after the game, separating them back out, I know this is a big part of why you have those movement traits. You know where everyone is, you can all have them all set out right next to each other and neatly organized. Brightly banded base colors so I know where they go? Yes. It may not cost you much time this game, but next game, when all of your guys are all sitting willy-nilly all over the place, and you've got to find, oh, where are all the orcs with orange armbands? They've just been sort of thrown haphazardly together. You're going to need to pull out all 30 of those boys, and you're going to need to put them on the table again. So mm -hmm. have your units organized in a way on your tray that is going to make them easy to access. And this goes whether you place them on the board or whether you're placing them in reserve or whatever it may be. Yes, exactly. Deciding where you're going to put units that are destroyed in advance. It's like, that's such a simple decision, but being ready for that is just like, you don't have to figure that out later and you don't want to have to figure that out later. Yes. Josh, do you have any organizational tips that you find really help speed your game? I was actually kind of similar to what you both mentioned is something that I actually do in a lot of my games. Almost as much as I hate the, the people that re-put away their dice after every roll, mm -hmm. are the people that completely recase their army after every game. Oh. Ooh. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about, right? Mm-hmm. The person that puts every model back into the individual sleeve, recases their whole army, brings it to the next table, and then unpacks their whole army again. Yeah. It's like, oh my god, dude. Tray. Movement army tray. Yeah, I mean, just get a, just steal a tray from McDonald's. Mm-hmm. It'll save you uh, so much time. Yeah, it, it's such a time saver, like, it almost isn't a thing, like, not having it is not an option. Yeah. Right? Yeah, do it. It works. The fact that I still see people that go about that is just mind-blowing to me. Yeah. 
But in the same breath, kind of like what Shaylin was just mentioning, when your units are dying, one of the ones I like to do is whenever a unit is, like, I'll take casualties throughout the turn, right? But then the unit dies. Mm-hmm. I actually leave one of them on the table in front of me, put the rest on the tray. Mm-hmm. In a group. They're in a group on the tray. Same thing with this unit, same with this unit. And what I end up doing is, at the end of that turn or battle round, I'll have three or four individual models in front of me, but that tells me how many units my opponent killed that turn. That's not a bad idea. Yeah. It helps you do that end of turn count. Exactly. Because it, it shows me this unit is dead. This unit is dead. This one model from this unit is sitting in front of me. This unit is finally dead. This one model sitting in front of me. And then at the end of the battle round, when we're, when we're already going to have this discussion anyways of how many units did you kill, how many units did I kill, we're having that discussion. Now I'm just going to take all those models and put them on the tray as well. Yeah. And now I got a clean slate. Bam. But they're all grouped together because I just did it all as a group. Yep. Bam, bam, bam. And they're all individually grouped on the tray. They're not all set up and pretty. And it makes it so that when I get done with my game, I just, one, cut my cleanup time dramatically down. And two, it makes it a lot easier when I move on to my next table. And three, more importantly, a lot less confusion on how those points are going to break down at the end of the battle round. Especially when you start getting in the middle of turn two and three, when all hell's breaking loose. Mm-hmm. That one unit, you know, oh wait, did you kill three this turn or four? Crap, did that happen on turn two? Oh, I don't remember. It's really easy for you to just look down. Well, I've got four. You killed four units. They're right here. Bam. Mm-hmm. That's kind of a big one for me. I make a tally when people died right next to the ITC thing. Mm-hmm. It's just like, oh, there's five here and four here. For the turn. Because that way I can keep track of my opponents. Sure. So we can both keep track of it. Yeah, it's it really is about the creating these shorthands for yourself that will help you remember things without having to spend as much time on them. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that covers it for the first half of the episode, as I believe that we are being called away to... Well, I'm not sure what they want us to do, but I can't imagine that it's pleasant. I see the Inquisitional banner over there, so I think this is your fault. It's never my fault. That's how it always turns out. I was talking to Josh. It's my fault. Or his. If it was his fault, he'd be dead by now. Oh no. Chaos won't let me die. You have no faith. We are going to go speak to the Inquisitor about what has just happened, and we will catch you on the flip side of the episode. Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god! Let me tell you about this amazing tournament I went to last year. It was the Boardroom Brawl GT in Grand Forks, Canada. This year, they're doing it again, August 3rd and 4th. It includes a post-game barbecue on Saturday, which is the best social thing ever. Also, fantastic terrain that is just super cool and kooky and engaging and some of the most finest players you will ever meet. Totally worth the trip to Canada for. Please go, guys. They're Northwest Area Gamers. If you're looking for a major ITC event happening in the later end of the year here, think about Stumptown Stomp. It's a charity event, and at only $55, the majority of which does go to charity, you can get in for two full days of gaming on November 16th and 17th, and it comes with a potluck lunch on the first day of the event. There are a variety of prizes, raffled as well as awarded, for both painting, sportsmanship, overall, and generalship. So come on down to Guardian Games and give it a spin. 
See, I told you that she just spread jam all over the handle, and that was why she couldn't get into the Chimera. It's not really my fault at all. They used raspberry. I think Brother Tesla is going to shoot you with that plasma gun. Honestly, if he can shoot me with all that jam on the Tesla gun, good luck. We are talking about ways to speed up your game here still. In the second half, I think we're going to focus less on the very specific ways that you speed up and maybe things that are going to be slowing you down. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about one that we've already mentioned a number of times, but I think is arguably the biggest sin of most slow players, deployment. I'm going to preface all of these with if you take... And it might seem counterintuitive, but if you get yourself into the practice of taking like a minute, maybe a minute and a half to plan things out and execute, you will actually save more time because you won't be sitting back and going, now what am I doing? Yes. And that's certainly true of deployment and also every other chunk of the game as well. Yeah, Having a plan will save you time, but I think it's most obvious at deployment. Yeah. Because I see a lot of players kind of like, oh, well, where does this unit go? And then I'll play something and they're like, oh, well, now where am I going to put this unit? Uh, And they do that every single time. Like, they don't really know how they're planning to deploy. You should have a basic plan for how your army is going to deploy. Either one that you use for every game or one that you have customized to the game you're playing. Actually, I make a plan for units specifically based on what the table's giving me. Sure. I think that's the best way it works for me. It's like, oh, I've got backfield units. Oh, right. So there's the objectives. There's the nearby terrain. Place, place, place. The key thing there is that you know where those units are going to go before your opponent places anything. Yeah. Yeah. They go the same place every game. You could do your whole army place down on the table as though it were this sort of new style ITC deployment. Just bam, everything goes straight down on the table from the get-go because you already have an idea what's going to happen. Yes. If I have something for counter-deploy, I save it for later and hopefully I get to counter-deploy properly with it. Sure. But I know that's the role the unit's taking. So I'm not guessing the unit is doing that. And that's not to say you shouldn't ever adjust your deployment based on what your opponent's doing. Mm -hmm. But you need to have a plan before you can change the plan. Exactly. I'm going to be real honest. I see players take a lot of time in deployment. Not just taking time deciding, but placing units slowly. Changing their minds. Actually, I think it's going to go over here. And, well, maybe I am going to put in that other place. Or getting that unit of 30 orc boys and moving them one or two at a time up to the table. And fidgeting with every single little... Half inch. You know what? There's 30 of them. It's not that hard. Just get them on the damn table. And if they fall over, you can fix that while your opponent is deploying things. And this is why I say things play intently. I just go, this unit is within the aura of here. And it needs to be close enough that both of you are satisfied. And that's all it needs to be. Absolutely. One of the big ones that'll really help you for those big units, and I I, I really do recommend this, when you have those really big units, like the 30 orc boys or the the 20 witches or the 30 man plague bears or whatever, 90% of the time, there's only, only two real measurements that matter when you're deploying that unit. One, the back of the unit is it in range of whatever auras I'm wanting them to be in range of. Two, the front of the unit. Is it within my deployment zone or is it a certain distance away from your models to make sure they're there? So really and truly, 
deploy the front three or four models to get you that barrier, deploy the back three or four models that get you in the range of your aura, and just tell your opponent, literally turn to your opponent, okay, and the rest of them are just going to go in here and fill in the gap. Mm-hmm. Good. Now he can start deploying his unit while you just wrap up this last 16 or so models, so you're just, you know, because all you're doing is filling in gap that doesn't matter. Yeah. Where they are in there doesn't matter. Uh, Knowing when a movement is irrelevant. Yeah. Let's actually shift things over to movement as well, because I see a very similar sin happening in the movement phase of these same players with these same units worrying about where every single model in the unit goes. Now, there are times when that is important. Your Nick Notavadis and some of these kind of guys that really can maximize the movement and assault phases, they can make the placement of every model in a unit important. But if you are running out of time during your game, you're not Nick Notavadi. No. You just need to be going faster, and you probably aren't really maximizing the placement of every model in that unit either. So take the same look of the front line matters, the back line matters, the other guys just need to be in there somewhere. Yes. And again, as I said, intention, like, I'm moving such that they didn't walk out of aura range, because they might ask you to measure faintly, but it's more like you just catch it and then you don't have a problem. Yes, if you're saying, I'm spreading these guys to maximum coherency, and your opponent says, okay, yeah, cool, then you don't have to fidget over every one and three quarters to two and a quarter inches. It's sort of like, if you need to, like, shuffle some guys around, your opponent said, like, oh, you said earlier you were spreading them coherency, so, yeah, sure, we just need to make sure that they're actually correct. Or if you measure and say, hey... I think I can get in range of the objective with this run move. Do you agree to that? And they say, yeah. All right, you're done. You don't need to spend 10 minutes fidgeting with where the front guy is placed because it's just like, he's in range of the objective. We already agreed to it. Mm -hmm. Intent can save a lot of time and communicating with your opponent. It's something we've reiterated a lot of times before. It's so important. Well, because it takes me two seconds, less than two seconds to say that. And it takes me physically... 10 seconds to move all that Nat's ass. Absolutely. How much time did you just potentially save in disagreement? Yes. And arguing on line of sights and range and yada, yada, yada. Yep. Yeah. Another thing that kind of relates back to our earlier point about uh, big block units, measure that front line and then just kind of move guys up. Mm-hmm. Conga. Yes. Guys from the front, guys from the back, everyone else fills into the positions they were in before. And sometimes you need to, like, shift guys to the side and whatnot, and you can measure some of them. But the bigger unit is, the quicker you need to be with its movement. Because five tactical marines, you can measure every guy in the squad. But 30 hormigaunts, you're not going to measure every guy in the squad. No. The good news is you can actually practice moving models quickly. Just go to your kitchen table and move models across the kitchen table for an hour. It's honestly not that hard to move quickly. The hardest part is remembering to go quickly. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this kind of goes back to our earlier point about being aware of what you're doing in chess clocks. Remembering that you do need to be going quickly at all times. Yeah. Not just when you're running out of time, but you need to be going quickly before you're running out of time. That's playing ahead. Yes. If you know that you don't finish games sometimes, you need to play the whole game faster because maybe you only spend 10 seconds moving that unit. But if you can spend five seconds instead, 
you're going to do that five times over the course of the game. You're going to do that across 15 different units over the course of a turn. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of time saved right there. Yeah. And Um, it's those little things adding up that do slow a game down. That is something I get reiterated at work is you're on a 12 hour shift. If you can save five seconds here, you will save an hour by the end of the night. Mm Mm-hmm. And that kind of plays into, I think, our, our next point, which is spending time is fine. Some actions do take time. If you need to resolve a big, complicated combat and have the models attacking the right places and with the right weapons and all of this sort of thing, that's okay. It's okay to spend a bunch of time on something that's important. But understand, like we said earlier, your time is a resource. You can spend it, but don't waste it. Mm-hmm. And this comes into a lot of things about all these fidgety little movements that we've been talking about where it doesn't matter where nine of those guys are, just put them down somewhere. Mm -hmm. But it also comes into things like shooting units that are irrelevant. If you're counting down on your clock, you're at like 12 minutes left, and you have three bolt guns shooting at an Imperial Knight, maybe don't. Mm -hmm. Those aren't going to do anything unless that knight is on its last wound. Just don't even bother. Yeah. And similarly, like, there's lots of times where there's units that are fine where they are. There's no reason to even touch them. Or there are psychic powers that you don't need. If you're Farseer sitting in the backfield and you're just sort of like, oh, I cast Doom on one unit and I guess I'll cast Fortune on myself. I mean, A, you're just asking for perils. And B... What are the chances they're going to get shot? Don't worry about it. Know what actions actually help your game and which actions are extraneous. Yes. One of the best ones that I recommend to people, and it's something I still do religiously to this day, is I would say almost always know when you're starting your last turn. Yeah. Like, either we're ending early because we're not going to get six turns in, or we are on turn six, right? 99% of the time, you know when you're doing your last turn. Yeah. And at that moment, I don't care if it takes you an extra two minutes, but I will tell you right now, it will become the most vital two minutes you will use in your entire game. Stop. Look at the score sheet. Look at your opponent. Take this two minutes with your opponent and be like, all right, here's my score. Here's your score. Here's what I need to do to win the game. You're here. I'm here. If I do A, B, C, and D, I win. If I don't, I lose. And then you look at the table. I need to move this unit here, I need to kill this unit, move this unit here, and I need to assault this unit. Mm-hmm. If these don't happen, I lose. Now, all this stuff in the back, well, there's these mortar shots of this tank over here, they don't matter, because it doesn't affect any of those three things that we just talked about. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so you can save yourself so much time right here by just sitting down with your opponent, and you also alleviate that issue of now, at the end of the game, you're arguing over, well, wait, what if I got that point or that point? You're, you're not arguing about that now because you both literally just reached a social agreement that, all right, if I'm here and you're here and I do this and you don't do this, I win. Well, we just discussed this. We just had this conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now you don't have to worry about that. You don't have to worry about the argument or the, or the bickering or whatever. You just had it out right then and there. And then you know very clearly and concisely, again, like Shaylin said, playing off that intent. I just told my opponent what my intent is. He agreed or we discussed that intent. Mm-hmm. And we acted upon it one way or another, win or lose. It's right there. Very clear. No argument. No fuss. And it tells you as a player what matters and what doesn't. Yes. Absolutely. 
I am going to play devil's advocate to Josh here. Mm -hmm. Because, Mm -hmm. like we said earlier, communication and intent and everything is super, super important. But another thing that I do see players do that eats up a lot of their time is over-communicate. Yes. Um, Yes. they, They will say... Okay, my tactical marines are shooting their bolt guns at you. The bolt guns are strength four, and I have ten of them. They're hitting on threes, re-rolling ones. Yes, yes. It's like, dude, just roll your goddamn bolt guns. I know what they are. Yes. Yeah. The first time you do something, by all means, explain what's happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell my opponent, I'm re-rolling ones thanks to my grandmaster. He's within six inches. He gives it to all my guys. Yeah. Great. The fifth time you say it, just say re-rolling ones. Mm-hmm. And if your opponent asks, why are you re-rolling ones? Tell them, yeah, the Grey Master, remember? They don't need to know every single time. Just yeah. yep. learn to shorthand all of your explanations. Because a lot of the time, you don't need to explain it every single time. A yeah. lot of the time, your opponents will just sort of believe you that you're you're playing by the rules. Because hopefully you are. Mm-hmm. If you're like me and you don't know what shorthand should look like... In practice games, discuss what the shorthand should look like with your friends. Absolutely. And, and this is where practice games can help you a lot. Because if, if your friends keep saying like, yeah, yeah, I know what that rule is, then probably your opponents will understand as well. Mm-hmm. That communication of like, okay, you've told them once, you're good now. Mm-hmm. That's usually how communication works. You don't need to keep reiterating the same thing, and you don't need to explain every single rule. When you go to swing with your weapon, just tell them, like, I'm swinging with a power fist. And if your opponent asks, what's a power fist? Then you answer. Otherwise, just go. Yeah. Actually, that's another thing that I do a lot that I find helps. Every Anytime your opponent, you tell your opponent wounds, just say what the AP is. Yeah. Because if I say six AP, three wounds, yep. then that skips that whole six wounds. What's the AP? AP3, okay, then I have, it's like, nah, j- you know what, just roll your saves. Mm-hmm. You know what your armor is, I know what your armor is. If I see you, like, saying, like, okay, I passed four of them, it's like, no, no, they're AP3, remember? Mm-hmm. I'll say that, but most of the time I won't have to, and that saves a lot of time. Yes. Just like, okay, rolling falchions, but uh, X AP2 wounds. Yep. And if it's something with multiple wounds, I'll say a D3 damage. Yes. That's the other thing I'll add, is the damage, if it's at all relevant to somebody. Mm-hmm. There's also a couple other little points I'd like to make here that I think are very relevant to kind of just, like, speeding your gameplay in general, or really more just, like, memory things. Like the fact that earlier turns will take longer because you have more units on the table? Absolutely. You don't need to budget the same amount of time for every turn. If you think about, oh, I've got three hours, that's an hour and a half for me, oh no, that's only 15 minutes per turn. Yeah, but turn six is fast. Turn one is not. You could afford to spend half an hour on turn one, because turn six might only take five minutes. But I'd advise not spending more than half an hour on turn one, that said. Sure. Probably half an hour should be your limit on a turn. If you take more than half an hour for your part of any turn, you are playing too slowly. Mm -hmm. And you need to speed that up. Yes. Now, it will sometimes happen when you, you know, de-jump your unit of orcs into combat on turn one, and they're fighting 15 units at once, and you have to spend all that time resolving it. That will sometimes happen. But that should be very rare, and that should be a sign that you need to get up and get moving for the rest of the game. Yes. 
Another thing is I'm short-armed. I always ask my opponents, like, hey, can you help me move something on your side of the table so I don't have to go around and move it? Absolutely. Moving around to the other side of the table should be a last resort, even if you're an army that moves across the table. Mm -hmm. Usually you can just tell your opponent, hey, can you move my guys six inches directly towards you? And they will. Mm -hmm. Because that's real easy and they know exactly what you want. I'm going to play devil's advocate for you on this one here just slightly. Mm -hmm. Sure. If you are asking your opponent to move your models for you, be aware that you are thereby agreeing that wherever they move those models to, you are acceptable with, right? Well, once they've placed them, yes. And that's where I, I kind of fast forward back to where I was. Whenever I am moving my opponent's models for them, as soon as I get done moving them, he says, hey, can you move those guys six inches over that way? I literally stop and like, is this where you want them? Is this good for you? Mm -hmm. Ask your opponent if they're okay with where those models are. If they're not, adjust them accordingly. If they are, and they say they are okay with that, that tells you that they are acceptable where they are. So then next, next turn, when they're like, oh, well, I wanted them this much closer... Well, then you should have said that when I asked if you were okay where the models are. Mm -hmm. Yes. Because invariably, that will happen in a game. Yes. And also do things like, hey, I want to assault all of your backfield stuff over there. If they're a little Heidi characters, just to put them in there too, please. Mm -hmm. Yep. Because I have opponents not include Heidi characters. I'm like, really? You know what my intent was. Again, goes back to intent. Yeah. State it. If you say, I want to assault everything in your backfield... If they later are like, well, you didn't actually say you were assaulting the commissar. It's like, I said I was assaulting everything in your backfield. Yeah. Is the commissar in your backfield? Then yes. Whereas if you say, I'm going to assault those two infantry squads and that character, and you just don't notice the commissar, that's your fault. Yep. Mm -hmm. This is where intent, and, and something we've said before, and Josh has definitely reiterated, don't try and be more clever than you are. Anytime you get into that, like, well, I'm going to assault these and, you know, not mention this other one, like, your opponent knows what you're doing. Yeah. So just say what you mean. I will preach this until I no longer play 40k. And anyone that listens to this, please understand, this right here is coming from years and years of experience and times of doing it the wrong way to get to the point where I'm at now. And I emphasize so heavily right here. Think about that. Whenever you're at that point where you're like, you know, did he really say that exact thing? Or maybe if he doesn't notice this, think about at the end of the game, if you actually won the game because of that one thing, would you feel right about winning that game? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Would you feel that you won that game? And if the answer is no, then don't do it. It's that simple. Mm -hmm. Can't preach that hard enough. Fair enough. Yeah. It is. You, you want to be okay with where the game finishes. And that's why we want to get six full turns on the game, because you want to have played a full real game with your opponent. Yeah. That is important to us, I think, as competitive players. That you, you want to have won because you were skilled, not because your opponent didn't say some minor little thing that they clearly meant. And that's why I state that as my intention at the beginning. I don't want to, like, I want to win perfectly cleanly mm -hmm. or not at all. Yeah. So, a couple other little, I think, useful things. Think about what you're doing on the enemy's turn. Mm -hmm. Don't be spending all your time thinking on your turn. Like, you obviously should think on your turn. I wouldn't recommend against that. Mm -hmm. uh, 
you should be looking at the board state on the enemy turn and thinking, okay, what am I going to need to do and what is going to need to happen? Yes. Because you should be spending that time to make a plan, but you're going to have most of the enemy turn to kind of sit there. Like, you'll be rolling some saves and whatnot, but you'll still have plenty of time where your opponent is fiddling around with models and casting powers and whatnot. Well, you're just going to be standing there doing nothing. Yes. Another small thing is you can help your opponent measure things if they have to move a lot of stuff. Sure. It's just like really simple, like they got their thing out and then like I put my finger on the end of the tape measure and they're just like, bam, model right there, done. Yeah. Saved everybody 20 seconds. Yeah, if you're trying to make the game faster, make sure you you get to play, be helpful to your opponent and they'll be helpful to you. Mm-hmm. It also sets a tone for a more sportsmanship friendly game, so. Absolutely. On the flip side of that, here is the other big sin that I see in games that drags them to a halt. And that's really chatty players. And you know what? I get it. We're all here to have fun and be social and play Warhammer. Like, we play this game with someone else. But you can talk with them after the game. Mm -hmm. There is a very strict time limit on games. And more than ever, that time limit is being enforced and is being important. Feel free to talk to them while you're playing the game, but always keep playing that game. Don't stop for ten minutes to talk about their paint job, unless the game is basically over. Yeah. Very true. True story. If you get done quickly, you can have all the chatting time for the rest of the round. Absolutely. And you're going to have time in between the rounds and during lunch and lots of other times to talk with players. I'm not trying to discourage anyone from being friendly with their opponent, but there's a difference between being friendly and wasting time talking. Yes. Let's say you do get caught behind the eight ball here and you are sitting with five or ten or fifteen minutes left on the clock and multiple turns left. What do you do? What are your priorities? What do you? How do you allocate your time? Well, we've mentioned this before. You determine what is and isn't important. Do the important things. Move with haste. But the last thing is don't hurry, because the moment you start hurrying, you start making mistakes, and mistakes are costly on time. Don't rush, but move with the, with the certainty, with the purpose. I'm going to put a quote from my uncle, who used to drive ambulances for firefighters. Mm-hmm. You do not hurry when you drive the ambulance. You drive fast, yeah. but you don't hurry. Yes. And that's an important distinction, is you can move quickly, but you still need to be moving with purpose and intent and not just sort of rushing through trying to do everything. We talked about earlier, most of the things aren't going to be that important. So boil it down to those handful of things that are important. If you know you only have five minutes per turn left for the last three turns of the game because you really got yourself on the clock... Figure out what those handful of things are that are most important. Getting onto objectives, getting that one kill every turn, mm -hmm. scoring whatever your secondaries are. Those handful of things are going to be what are important in the game and what win or lose you the game. So focus on them. Yep. If it takes you a moment to step back and say, okay, I only have 15 minutes left. If you spend one minute of that 15 minutes figuring out what your path to victory is, that's a minute well spent. Yes. Yep. And don't be afraid to spend that minute. Yes, absolutely. Be ready to take a step back and think things through. But then once you have figured out what you need to do, do it. Mm -hmm. Don't hesitate. Don't second guess yourself. Just do it. And if, if you figured it out wrong and it wasn't the plan you needed, 
Well, you'll know that after the game. Yeah. But you're not going to win the game without executing a plan. So get in there and do it. Yep. Go even if you don't have 100% confidence because going is more important now. Absolutely. Commit to it. Execute it. If it was wrong, then you'll know it was wrong because you executed it fully. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Don't execute it halfway and then say it was wrong because then you don't know if it was actually wrong or just because you didn't actually do it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yep. You'll get a learning moment no matter what you do. All right. Do either of you have any other tips for people who play slowly or who are worried they're not playing quickly enough? Don't let the clock get in your head. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Be willing to try things if you are, like, desperate for trying to figure out how to speed yourself up. Just try things. In practice, mm -hmm. if you just start trying to do things, you'll find what works for you with persistence, if nothing else. Yeah, and... Practice is the place to start this. You should not be trying to speed up your games during a tournament. You should be trying to speed up your games during practice. If you find that you aren't finishing your tournament games, start looking at your practice games. How long did they take? Because if you spend four or five hours on a practice game, maybe that's the problem. Mm -hmm. You need to get in those good habits of playing quickly. And sometimes it's okay to spend five hours on a practice game if you really want to talk it through and you think you can learn something out of it. But that shouldn't be your norm. You no. do need to learn to play in practice the way you play in tournaments. That's why we have hard practice. Exactly. Last thing is sometimes it's valuable to have a third person there who's just watching you play that can give you little tiny tips of things you're not even realizing you're doing slowly. Sure. This is not a place where practice can be very valuable because you may have a team member mm -hmm. or some kind of neutral third party. And if you can ask them, it's like, hey, I'm trying to speed up. Can you point out when I'm going too slow mm -hmm. or when there's something I could have done faster? That person will be there and they'll have that outside view that can help say like, hey, you spent like three minutes placing one unit. Why? Mm hmm. I was just teaching my boyfriend how to play. I had to show him measuring techniques because he was measuring the most inefficient way I have ever seen. Mm -hmm. But it's that sort of thing that you won't realize unless you have someone else there to point it out to you. Yeah, and show you how it's done. Exactly. So hopefully everyone listening has gotten something they can use out of this that'll speed their own games up a little bit or can help their opponents speed through their games a little bit because it's no fun to be on either end of that. Nope. If you are really trying to take up your competitive skills, Playing quickly is a very important one. It's something that's going to win or lose a lot of games for you. Yes. If you have any questions or comments or maybe some, need some help yourself or are just looking to talk about Warhammer a little bit, feel free to email us on inthefinesthour at gmail.com. You can also contact us through Facebook. Uh, In the Finest Hour is our page there as well. You can send us a message or put up a post on our timeline. Mm -hmm. And if you'd really like to get into something a little more involved, you can join up with our Patreon. For a nice little five bucks a month, you can join up with not only our private Facebook group, but also our Discord server, where we have had a number of discussions about the game recently. Uh, a lot of people posting lists and kind of discussing stuff like that. And you can interact with all the hosts in a little bit more of a direct fashion. Mm-hmm. I would also like to say a thanks not only to our Patreons, but also to our sponsors, specifically Dank Muse, who has provided the music for this episode and every episode. You can check them out on Spotify, SoundCloud, or YouTube. I'd like to thank Rylan Woodrow for doing our fantastic logo, and Stephanie for doing our amazing t-shirts at Old Dog New Trick Studio. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to throw out the offer, anyone that's uh, possibly interested in any advertising opportunities on uh, In the Finest Hour, 
And feel free to reach out to us at inthefinesthour at uh, gmail.com. Or you can find us on In the Finest Hour on our Facebook group. And please don't hesitate. Uh, if it's something you feel might be interesting or uh, might be beneficial for you, don't hesitate to reach out to us and ask some questions. All right. I think that does it for the week. Next week, we will be doing a interesting little uh, subject that I think not a lot of people are familiar with. Attacker or Defender? The Sword and Shield? Um, Not Pokemon Sword and Shield, no. I was referring to Caldor Drago, but sure. <laughs> Uh, I was not referring to Drago because I am not a Grey Knight player. They both come out of a Pokeball. It's fine. <laughs> I won't deny that one. Yes. So, uh, for this week, I have been Sean Morgan. Shailen Allen. And Josh Dan. Thanks for listening to In the Finest Hour.